What a privilege to be able to come to the house of the Lord on a brand new year on Sunday and open the Word of God. You know, that's about the only thing that really matters when it comes down to it. Uh, we, we didn't come to hear jokes. We didn't come to hear stories. We didn't come to hear entertainment. We came to hear the Word of God explained and expounded. And we try to do that each week. And so today we're going to be talking about a subject from the book of Ephesians is actually where I started with this. So you might want to put one finger in your Bible at Ephesians chapter 4. And um, after you found that one, you might want to mark it and then move over to Psalm 34. And we're going to look at that passage as well in a few moments and maybe one or two more as well. This morning we're going to be talking about something. It's it's strange if you've never been in ministry as a as a pastor or a teacher, uh, you might not be able to understand this. But sometimes you can just be riding down the road, as happened to me this week. Um, I was coming down. I guess it's called Main Street now in Rollsville. Down 0401, getting ready to get on the bypass. And just as I, I was getting ready, I was meeting Tim and Ronnie here, our deacons at the church, and we were going out for a, a meal and uh, meeting. We usually meal when we meet. Is that all right? Uh, that's the way it works. But uh, as we were going to breakfast that morning, I got down to the end of the road on 0401 to the stoplight there, and all of a sudden, this thought just, I don't know where it came from. I don't even know. I guess it's not true to say I wasn't thinking, but I don't remember thinking. Surely I was thinking something, but I don't remember what it was. And then all of a sudden, this thought just, bam, came into my mind. Stop sweating the small stuff. And then several other things that followed along with that, which tie into this passage that I'm going to share with you this day. And so as you received a phone call, if you're on our phone call list, um, you've heard this, maybe you saw it on Facebook, but the sermon this morning is going to be entitled Undistractify Yourself in 2018. Undistractify Yourself in 2018. Now, what I usually do, uh, if I read something and there's a word there, I don't know what it means, I usually look it up. As a matter of fact, as far as I'm concerned, almost the best thing about my smartphone is I've got the dictionary on it. So I'm constantly checking the meaning of words, and and I, when that word came to me, I was, I'm sure it wasn't a word, but I checked it, and it wasn't there. So it's it's not something that you can look up and give a definition to, but I made up that word, and I can define that word, okay? And we're going to look at that today. The principle is biblical. The logic is sensible, but the word is maybe nonsensical to you. Undistractify yourself, but you'll get the point. As we go through this today. Um, I'm going to spend a few moments talking about getting distracted. Getting distracted. And once I have defined what it means to get distracted, then I'm going to define what I mean by distractified and then how to get undistractified. Are you with me? Okay. Don't get distracted. Now, the first thing I'd like for you to think about, I've got four illustrations I'm going to give you, and it won't take long. 
But the first one is one of the most classic ways that people are getting distracted in these days in which we live is when they're driving. I heard some amens and I see some nods. Um, Do you all know that it's a dangerous thing to be driving down the road and texting? It's not only dangerous, it's illegal. Right? But there have been a lot of people who have died. Could you say died? There have been a lot of people who have died because they had one of these in their hands whether they were texting or putting in a phone number or, or whatever they may have been doing, a lot of people have died because they got distracted with one of these while they were driving. This is a distraction, by the way. I'm going to talk about this more as we go through the service today. But this is a classic distraction in the days in which we live in several ways. But certainly when we're driving, if I'm driving along at 60 miles an hour, and I'm texting or reading a text or something, and I reach down for my phone and have to maybe reach across the console to pick it up or whatever, and I'm trying to unlock it so the screen will open up. Y'all know what I'm talking about? In the process of doing all that, if somebody pulls out in front of me while I happen to be looking down, how many have ever had a close call? Forget the phone. How many have ever had a close call? Well, if you have a close call and you're looking down at the phone, it's bad news, right? Because you have been distracted, your eyes are not on the road, it doesn't matter what your reaction time is. If you're looking down and you look up and it's too late, you can't stop. So this is a terrible distraction, texting and using one of these when you're driving. I'm trying to set up what it means to be distracted. To be distracted can be dangerous. It can be deadly. It can lead to a crash. The second illustration I'd like to use is from the world of sports. I could have done this with a baseball. I could have done this with a football. I could have done it with a hockey puck, but I'm going to use a golf club. All right? And I'm going to use a golf ball too. And I'm playing in the Masters. Okay? I'm playing in the Masters and, and my ball is on the green and I'm getting ready to make a putt. And if I sink this putt, I'm going to win the Masters. Is that a big deal? may not be a big deal to you, but it's a big deal to me. Forget the stupid green jacket. I want the check that comes with it. Okay? It's a big deal because I'm getting ready. This is big. And so you know how they do it. You've seen them. They, they get their club and, and they walk up there and they, they get in place here and they take a couple practice swings like this. You know, they get that foot just right. And then they step up to the ball. And they get ready, and they go. <laughs> Have you ever seen that happen? No, you haven't. You know why? Because in that setting, on that golf course, they got people walking around with signs that say, quiet. Do they not? When you're getting ready to tee off at the tee box, and that guy gets ready to take that swing... They hold up one of these signs, quiet. They don't want somebody yelling out about, go get them, boy. You can do it. You know, by the time you get ready to do it, somebody hollers. You just, you you come out of your skin almost. No, it's quiet. It's an amazing thing. It's probably the most quiet place on earth given the number of people. There can be hundreds of people standing around the green in the Masters. Hundreds of them. And this guy walks up to make this putt. It sounds like a funeral home. There's nothing being said. 
And he makes that putt. And it goes right in. There you go. <laughs> Getting distracted when you're driving can be deadly. Getting distracted when you're golfing can be costly. It can cost you the championship, right? If you're at school and you are about uh, 13 years old and you have begun to have an interest in boys, if you're a girl, or an interest in girls if you're a boy, and you get distracted. Nothing else matters in life anymore but that one that you got interested in all of a sudden. You were studying, you were doing your homework, you were focused in your schooling until you got interested in this person that has become a distraction. What's going to happen to grades if you stay distracted? Tony was the first one to react. He loves giving. He loves giving those lower grades. He loves catching kids in those distractions. <laughs> and then if you think about your job, a lot of people get fired on their jobs for getting distracted, right? Some, some important crucial moment and then all of a sudden they're not paying attention. They're distracted doing something else and you can lose your job. Because distractions have consequences for us. If you will, don't mind, Joy, pick that ball up so somebody doesn't step on it later and fall or something. Thank you. Being distracted, I want you to think of it this way. Being distracted, it didn't take long for Donna to distract me there, did it? Stop! I mean, that was, it took about, I don't know, less than a second. That distraction didn't last very long. But it could make a very big difference. Now, I've got news for you. All of us are going to get distracted in life. Aren't we? There's going to be distractions. There's no way we can eliminate distractions. Because they're always going to come. Right now, in the middle of the sermon, if a phone rings, starts ringing, that's a distraction, right? So, what does... <laughs> There's in a video somebody posted on Facebook this week. I can't remember who posted that. Beth posted it. Where this, this pastor was standing on a stage in a, for a Christmas service. And he's getting ready to pray. And behind him, this guy's moving across the stage. I don't know why he was doing that. But somehow he hit the candelabras and knocked them over. And then he reached to grab for that one and knocked another one over. And there's glass breaking all over the place. And the pastor standing there preaching just turns around and looks. And then turns back around and starts praying again. He just ignored the whole thing. Listen, that's what you have to do with distractions. Because if you don't learn to ignore distractions, if you don't learn to get your focus where it's supposed to be, and you stay distracted, that's what I'm calling this morning distractified. Not a short distraction that gets your attention and you can go back to normal and be focused. But distractions that keep you distracted. And I have defined that as being distractified. That's not a word either. So being undistractified is sure not a word. But we're going we're gonna to look into the word today and, and see an example of this and how important it is in our lives. None of these things that I've talked about are desirable things to, 
to, to crash because you were distracted is not a good thing. To be defeated in sports because you were distracted is not a good thing. To be a failure in school because you got distracted is not a good thing. To be fired at work because you were distracted is not a good thing. And for we as Christians to become distracted, I'm going to tell you, it's a, it, the, the, the results, the end result of us being distractified is bad. It's horrible. Moving in our minds now from being distracted, which indicates a wrong focus. If I'm riding down the road, driving and I'm looking at my phone, that is the wrong focus. Amen? If I'm getting ready to make the putt and somebody hollers in the, in the crowd, that's the wrong focus. I have blown my opportunity there. I certainly need to get my, my, th- my stuff back together, get my mind together, get my focus right, and move on with what I'm doing. And in all those a- examples. So being distractified is talking about the wrong focus. I'd like for you to go with me to Psalm 34, and we're going to look at the right focus. The right focus. What happens when we get the right focus? And we're going to begin in verse 3. Where the scripture says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Now, what does the word magnify mean? Make it larger. Make it bigger. When you magnify something, you make it bigger. Now, let's think for just a moment. The psalmist said, Oh, magnify the Lord. Magnify the Lord. Make the Lord bigger. Now, In all truth, you can't make the Lord bigger, can you? He's already big. He's awesome. You certainly don't have the power to make him any bigger than what he is. So it's not the fact that we're literally making him bigger. We're making him bigger in our focus, in our understanding, in our minds, on the screen of our lives. For instance, we're to make him bigger. To focus on that. So he says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. In 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 your mind, make him bigger. In your understanding, make him bigger. In your thought processes, make him bigger. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, he says, and let us exalt his name together. Now, notice what he's saying in verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. I want you to join with me, he says, and making sure that your focus is right. He says, and let us... Exalt his name together. Actually, what he's suggesting to us is that his focus is correct and his focus is right, but he would like for your focus to be right too. Do you see that? Because when you read in verse 3 where he says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together, he's already stated in verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. He has already declared about himself, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. He has already stated, my soul shall make its boast in the Lord. Now I'm going to tell you, that's a pretty good attitude to have. I love to be around people who want to bless the Lord at all times. I love being around people who want to praise 
continually and thank God for his goodness and honor him. I love to be around people who will testify of the goodness of God and brag on Jesus. I love that, don't you? So understanding that his focus is right, his focus is healthy, his focus is biblical, his focus is pleasing to God. Then he says in verse 3, oh, magnify the Lord with me, join with me, take this journey with me. I have experienced the goodness of God, how wonderful, how mighty, how awesome, how forgiving, how loving, how healing, how wonderful God is. I praise him at all times. I bless him at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. And then he says, now I want you to magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. If you have title um, captions in your Bible, Psalm 34 is titled this way. The happiness of those who trust in God. The happiness of those who trust in God. The flip side of that, I guess, could be the unhappiness of those who don't think about God. Who don't trust God. Who don't um, focus on God. Happy are those who trust in God. Not so happy are those that have become distractified. As a matter of habit, as a matter of life, where they live. You see, because being distracted is an act. It's a one-time thing. It's, it, it happens and it's over. But being distractified is when you start living in that place. Where your thoughts and your attention is constantly away from God instead of focusing on God. David said, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I'm going to magnify it. I'm going to keep him in my focus. He's going to be big in my perception and in my life. That's the way it's supposed to be for us. But I'll tell you what, by experience, you know and I know, when you get your mind off of him and get him on people and other troubles and irritations that you have, you're going to be one miserable person to live with. Amen. And it's, it's for no other reason, no other reason, but that you have been distractified. You have lost your focus. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I'm going to tell you what, as long as you're looking at Jesus and you're praying and you're seeking God and you got a good attitude, you'll be easy to get along with. But when your mind is away from God, you start looking at people instead of looking at Jesus, things are going to fall apart. Everything's going to be bad. Nobody can please you. And you're going to be one hard person to get along with. Amen? It is right. So, what I'm talking about this morning is being distractified. Being distracted? Okay. We all get distracted from time to time. But being distractified is when we live in that place where those distractions become our focus all the time. A little bit later in the sermon, I don't think I'll do it right now, but I'm going to talk about how this thing I hold in my hand has ruined our lives. I wish I could throw the stinking thing in the river and be done with it. Amen. I do. It's causing us more problems than we can even imagine. And I'm going to prove that to you from, from expert, not, not preachers, but from experts, psychologists, and people. This thing is ruining our culture and our society. So, as we continue, I've given you an example of doing it the right way 
thinking the right way. Now I'm going to give you an example, a biblical example of, of somebody having the wrong attitude. David had the right attitude, right? I'm going to praise God continually. His praise shall be in my mouth. I'm going to magnify the Lord. Now, won't you join me in doing that, he says. Here's Elijah. Elijah's a good man. God has used Elijah mightily. He's called down fire from heaven, destroyed the prophets of Baal. A great victory he had, but then the queen got mad and said, I'm going to have your head by this time tomorrow. So Elijah runs out and he gets depressed. And he just wishes that he could die. He's lost his focus. He failed to realize that all that he has just seen, God did that. He didn't do that. God did that. I'm going to tell you, when you get your gaze off of God, you're in trouble. In our society, the gaze should never be, our, our focus should never be people. I don't care if it's the pastor. I don't care if it's the bishop. I don't care if it's the pope. I don't care if it's the president. I don't care who it is. Your focus should not be people. Your focus should be God. Your focus should not be this pastor. Your focus should be God. You don't follow this pastor. You follow God. Been a lot of people, followed a lot of preachers who got crushed because that person, they felt like let them down and then they went down the tubes. Out of fear, failure, bitterness, anger, whatever. Listen, the Bible says we've got to keep our focus right. If we don't keep, it's dangerous not to keep your focus right. If you become distractified, if your mind and your attention is on people, we are, me included, we are going to be in a mess. That's why I think the Lord spoke to my spirit one day this week and said, don't sweat the small stuff. If you'll get your eyes on me and magnify me, this other won't look near as big. Boy, was he telling the truth. Because God is bigger than any of it. Amen? God is bigger than any of it. All of us, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful start to a new year to talk about these distractions and being distractified and what it does to us as individuals when we allow that to happen to us. I've told you this story before, but I'm going to tell you again because it fits so well in what we're talking about today. Stories told of this grandpa who spent the day taking care of his grands, that's his grandchildren. As grandpa decided to take a nap in the afternoon, as grandpas are are known to do, he uh, laid down on the couch in the living room and his grandkids decided to be a little bit mischievous. Can you imagine that? And so after grandpa went to sleep, the kids went and found some Limburger cheese in the fridge. I've never smelt Limburger cheese. I hear it's pretty rough. I don't know. Never. But... They say it stinks. I don't know. And they grabbed the Limburger cheese. They took some of it and got it in their fingers and got it nice and moist and pliable. They went over where Grandpa was and they started packing it in his mustache. So Grandpa laid there asleep, slept right through it. They were meticulous in in what they did. And then they just stood back to watch what was going to happen. Grandpa's laying there. He starts sniffing a little bit and squirming. And then finally he wakes up. He says, something stinks. He gets up and he looks all around the room and he can't figure out what in the world it is that stinks. And then he decides to, to walk into the kitchen. He looks into the kitchen, took a deep breath. He says, it stinks in here too. And he went from room to room. He just couldn't find out what was going on. He walks out on the back porch and took a deep breath. The whole world stinks, he said. 
The problem wasn't the world. The problem was him. Right? He was so close to, to something that was distracting that it, it wrecked his whole view of what the world was like. And when we get that way, sometimes we develop a bad attitude. I think that's what the world calls a tude. Is that right? You get a tude. I've heard that before. Well, I think all of us probably have had tudes at some point in our lives. And some of those tudes were tudes that didn't please the Lord. Grandpa and his Limburger cheese, he got all excited about that. You see, the thing about having an attitude is this, it's contagious. Spreads like a disease. And that's why you need to be very careful about listening to people. You need to be careful about what you watch on TV. I'm going to tell you this. It doesn't matter if it's Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, or talk shows. or it, If you listen to that garbage, it's going to mess your mind up. It's going to cause you to be distractified. You're going to lose, you're going to lose the perspective of a big God that's in control. You're going to lose that in your thinking. Because we do believe that, don't we? That God is sovereign and that God's in control. Uh, there's a lot of, lot of bad things that are going to happen on this earth, but I'm going to tell you, God's got it. He knows ever, about every bit of it. He's told us in His Word it's coming. It's going to happen. The news channels, they get all excited when they see it coming to ha- coming about and they can't believe what's going to, the Bible says it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Ain't nothing we can do. Oh, brother Trump, he, he can't stop what God's going to do. It's going to happen. We might as well get our minds on God and understand that God is in control and make him bigger in our lives and understand that God is God. We'll be a lot happier in life. Understanding that we can't control it all. We can't change it all. It's in God's hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Do you believe that? He does. The Bible says he does. Now, you may be saying... Sometimes when we get down, we get a little aggravated, we get an attitude, we may, we may think, well, but pastor, you, you don't know what I'm going through. No, I, I don't know what you're going through and you don't know what I'm going through. But I will give you an example here of somebody in, in the Bible. His name is the Apostle Paul. He's the one who wrote the book of Ephesians. And I'll share with you what he's going through. The book of Ephesians is one of the books in the New Testament that is called a prison epistle. Anybody like to guess what's called a prison epistle? Because he was in prison when he wrote it. That's not the only one. There's two or three more that are known prison epistles as well. But as we look in in Ephesians, look at chapter 3 verse 1. The apostle Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, And then as we look at chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Again, I, the prisoner of the Lord, ask you to walk this way. Now, if Paul now is going to ask for prayer... Imagine that Paul is going to ask for prayer from this church. Now, he's a prisoner. He's in prison. He finds that there's a whole lot of people that don't like him. The Jews don't like him anymore because he used to be a Jew and fight the Christians. Now he has become a Christian, so the Jews despise him. 
The Christians don't trust him yet. They think he's a phony and doesn't really have their confidence either. So everywhere he goes, he's kind of like a man without a country. He's a man without a side. He's, he's despised by the Jews. He's despised by the Christians. He's suspect in their eyes, early in his ministry particularly. You would think a man like that, if, if he were to say, I want you to pray for me. Pray that the Lord would get me out of this prison. Wouldn't that be a logical prayer? It would, wouldn't it? Pray that the Lord would, would get me out of this prison. But he doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, as we look at verse 13 of chapter 3, he says, Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. In other words, he's already said he's in prison, but he says, I don't want you to lose heart. And by the way, he says, I want to pray for you. Verse 14. For this reason, I'll bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is getting ready to pray for them. Now, he's not asking them to pray for him. Even in the, in the valley he's in, the dungeon he's in, the prison he's in, he doesn't ask them at this point to pray for him. He says, I want to pray for you. He's not feeling sorry for himself. He says, I'm going to pray for you. Now, just because... I want to share this with you. If you turn over to chapter 5, there is a place where he said, I want you to pray for me. He tells them about the armor of God. In verse 17, he says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Prayer is part of the armor of God, by the way. And he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. I want you to pray for the saints. And then he says, I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for me that the Lord will get me out of this prison. I want you to pray for me that, that the Lord would just, this is so miserable in here. I want out. Pray that he'll let me out. That's not what he prayed, was it? No, he said, I want you to pray for me, but I want you to pray that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to speak known or to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. That the, pray for me that the Lord would give me strength to stand and open my mouth and be ashamed, unashamed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's not feeling sorry for himself. I want you to pray that the Lord will use me where I am, he says. But in this other passage, in chapter 3, he's getting ready not to ask for prayer for them, but he says, I want to pray for you. The prisoner. The one we would think who would be the one who was depressed and defeated and down and ejected and discouraged. The prisoner. He says, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. I pray, I pray that he, God, would grant you according to the riches of his glory. That's a sermon right there. I'm talking about the riches of what God has. Our big God. The God who is overall, the God who made the earth, the the God who made the seas, the God who made the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the galaxies, the God who made it all. Talking about riches there. He says, I'm praying that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. We marvel 
at places we have never been to in space. And we marvel on a regular basis now of places we're finding in space we didn't even know existed. We see it on the news all the time. God's creation is bigger than big. And God who created it is bigger than it all. His power is unbelievable. So we, we, there again, what we're trying to do now is magnify the Lord. We're trying to understand this. Listen, we don't serve a weakly, sickly, elderly, crippled, worn out God. Don't think for one minute that our God is asleep, that he's sick, that he's weak, that he's taking a nap. He's God. And we're supposed to magnify him and make him bigger. But we have so many distractions in our lives. We are living a distractified life that we can't even get that view of God in our minds and hold on to it. Because we got so much other junk in our lives that's taking our, our thinking and our consciousness. We don't think about that. We really do need to go back to Psalm 34 and understand that David said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. What did he say? He said, I'm going to praise him continually. His praise will ever be in my mouth. He was a man who had seen the, the work of God and experienced the mercy of God and, and, and in a way that probably most people, you know, David's the one who said and wrote many of these songs we we see in the Psalms, the heavens declare the glory of God. The earth shows his handiwork. He made the, the earth is so full of wonders, but the wonder of wonders is the God who made it all. And so he says that this God that we're praying to, he prays that this God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened. God wants you and me to be strengthened with might. Get away from this willy-nilly little sickly silly um, idea that, that we're supposed to just struggle through life and and not have any life-changing experience with God. I'm going to tell you, the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news and much greater news than most of us have ever been able to wrap our minds around. And I'm not preaching prosperity, and I'm not preaching everything in your life is going to go like you want it to go, but I am preaching that there's a God who's going to take care of you no matter what comes. He's in control. If you'll trust Him, He'll see you through to the very end, and God is going to take care of His people if we will keep our eyes on Him. But we get distracted. We get distracted. Oh my goodness, the distractions we have to deal with. To be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. And he says, I'm going to pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you can be rooted and grounded in love. And that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. I like that because he's not just saying this is for select few. This is for me. This is for the elite. This is for the chosen. No, he's saying, I'm going to pray that you'll be able to comprehend with all the saints what, listen to this now, he's, he's describing God, the perception of God and what God wants to do. He says, 
I'm going to pray that you'll be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. In other words, go just as far as you can go into space, the height. Go as deep as you can go into the depths of the ocean. Go as far as you can to the left and the right. Go go as far, any direction you want to choose on the compass, you go there and you're going to find that God is there. God owns it all. God created it all. He says we need to understand, to be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ, which, which passes knowledge. The love of Christ is greater than our ability to put it to words. And he says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, I'm going to tell you this, and I think you'll believe this. If you are filled with all the goodness of God, like Paul prays that would we would be. Think about it. If you are filled with all the fullness of God, how could you ever be defeated as a Christian? If you're filled with all the fullness of God. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to have trouble. It doesn't mean that heartaches are not going to come. But it's going to mean, like like the Apostle Peter, I just love his writings because it was a time of persecution when he wrote. And he he describes all these trials and temptations and things that are coming upon you. And But yet he says that there's joy unspeakable and full of glory. God gives a peace that passes all understanding. It's amazing what God will do in our hearts and in our lives. No matter what. Listen, your peace and your contentment as a Christian does not hinge on everything going well. God is still God, still in control. He's still the same God. Loves you just as much when things are going lousy in your life as, as He is when they're going great in your life. And he wants us to free ourselves of our distractions. We used to sing a lot of old songs with a lot of great meaning. But some of them talked about if the Lord never did a thing for me again, never blessed me in any way again, he's still worthy to be praised. Choir sings a song, he'd still been God. If he never did this, if he never did that, if he never did that, he'd still been God. And God is God. And he's wanting us to just understand that and honor him for that and worship him. There's several things in this little passage we've just read there I think that are important. Number one, how can you be depressed? How can you be depressed if you're filled with all the fullness of God? Mm. If you'd like to sit down and have a discussion about that sometime, I'll be happy to entertain it. How can you be depressed if you're filled with all the fullness of God? How could it be? I would suggest that if we are filled with all the fullness of God and we're really, here's, here's the bottom line. Let's just cut to the chase. If you have become undistractified, if you have removed from your life those things that are distracting you and keeping you away from giving attention to God, now, in case you're wondering, this all just can be summarized almost in one little verse. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. It's that simple. It's putting God first in our lives. But listen, how? How can we put God first in our lives if this thing right here dominates hours of our time every day? Right? And we will spend hours on this every day. And then we will wonder, why does God seem so far away? 
I'm going to share with you a scripture. You need this engraved on your heart. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what the Lord said, right? I will never leave you nor forsake you. But I'm going to tell you what, this thing here and many other things, irritations, aggravations, and things in our lives that distract us, they're going to come. But if you just, if you just look at it and then deal with it and get over it. Because if you don't, you become distractified. And you live on that and you feed on that and you feast on that and it destroys your soul. And this right here is keeping a lot of people from having victory because we spend all our time on this and then say we don't have time to pray. If it's the truth, would you say amen? And I don't have time to read my Bible. Incidentally, you may be wondering why why we declared 2017 the year of the Bible and I haven't said much about it here at the end of the year. It's because I would like to think. You see, the Bible says that, that, that when we do something for the Lord, we don't do it for the attention and the glory. At one time, I thought I'd just get everybody to stand who read the Bible through this year. And I thought, no, that's not the right thing to do. This, that we did this for God, right? We, did, we didn't do that for attention. We did that for God. And, and for all of you who did that, who read the Bible from beginning to end in 2017, I know several of you have spoken to me about it and said it was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. A blessing and you loved it. Never had done that before. What a treasure that was, you said. Well, that's the way it is. And that's the way it's supposed to be. There's so many things that if we would lay aside things that have us distractified long enough to do the things that God has already told us we should do. Read your Bible, pray every day. Pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Well, we don't have time to read our Bible. We say we don't have time to pray every day. Well, I know it's getting late, and I'm going to try my best to wind this up in the next 10 minutes, okay? i got to read to you. After this sermon was already put together, the thoughts that I've shared with you this morning, I had already jotted things down and, and was, was putting this together to share with you. I went to um, one of my bookcases and this book was laying there. It says, 12 ways your phone is changing you. Honestly, that's the name of the book. And I just I thought, oh, that sounds pretty interesting concerned when I think about what we're already talking about. And I opened it up and the first chapter, you know what the name of the first chapter is? We are addicted to distraction. Now the sermon didn't come from the book. I already had the sermon. Then I saw this. We check our smartphones about 81,500 times each year or once every 4.3 minutes of our waking lives, which means you will be tempted to check your phone three times before you finish this chapter. The impulse is not hard to understand. Our lives are consolidated on our phones, our calendars, our cameras, our pictures, our work, our workouts, our reading, our writing, our credit cards, our maps, our news, our weather, our email, our shopping. All of it can be managed with the state-of-the-art apps and powerful little devices we carry everywhere. 
Even the GPS app on my phone, which guided me to a new coffee shop today, possesses 30,000 times the processing speed of the 70-pound onboard navigational computer that guided Apollo 11 to the surface of the moon. Think about that. This thing is 30 times faster than the computer that took the astronauts to the moon. And we hold them in our hands, and they can do unbelievable things. Unbelievable things. It's no wonder we habitually grab our phones first thing in the morning, not only to turn off the alarms, but also to check email and social media in a half-conscious state of sleep inertia before our groggy eyes can fully open. If the ever-inspanding... I'm going to stop right there. I'm not going to read all this, but there's some of it's just too good. Our phones are addictive, and like addicts, we seek hits immediately in the morning. And yes, there's an app for that. The app we most often turn to for our hits is Facebook. Everybody say, oh me. Oh, that was weak. In 2013, 63% of Facebook users checked in daily. Just one year later, that number had shot up to 70%. If you check Facebook every day, you join more than 1 billion others with the same compulsive routine. The average user now spends 50 minutes every day. And the Facebook product line, Facebook, Messenger, Instagram, a number that continues to surge by strategic design. The Facebook uptick coincides with a spike in mobile technology and a spike in users who are adopting smartphones into every open moment of their lives. Facebook now travels with us, and this mobility is quickly making Facebook addicts of us all. Few of us can stop ourselves. Ofer Turell, a psychologist in California State University, Fullerton, warns that Facebook addicts, unlike compulsive drug abusers, have the ability to control their behavior, but they don't have the motivation to control this behavior because they don't see the consequences to be that severe. But the consequences are real. As digital distractions intrude into our lives at an unprecedented rate, behavioral scientists and psychologists offer statistical proof in study after study. The more addicted you become to your phone, the more prone you are to depression and anxiety, and the less able you are to concentrate at work and sleep at night. This didn't come from a preacher. This come from a psychologist. Because we are all so interconnected, hundreds of people, friends, family members, and strangers can interrupt us at any moment. And when we are bored with the flick of a thumb, we can skim an endless list of amusements and oddities online. Why distractions lure us? I'm just going to read the headings here. First, we use digital distractions to keep work away. We use, we use this to keep work away. We know there's things that we need to do, but we don't do them because we prefer to do this. And then we say, well, I didn't have time. We use digital distractions to keep work away. Second, we use digital distractions to keep people away. See, we think we're getting connected with people. We're not. We're getting driven apart with Facebook. It's, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. You go to a restaurant and look at a family. You can look at a family of four having dinner at a restaurant. All four of them will be looking like this. Through the whole meal. They never talk, never say a word. They're just doing like this. Through the whole meal. They haven't interacted. They haven't loved on one another. 
hadn't got to use, to know each other at all. They just, just, they're distractified. Number three, we use digital distractions to keep thoughts of eternity away. Perhaps most subtly, we find it easy to fall into a trap of digital distractions because in the most alluring new apps, we find a welcome escape from our truest, rawest, and most honest self-perceptions. It was the insight of 17th century Christian mathematician and proverb-making sage Blaise Pascal when observing distracted souls of his own day, not unlike those of our time, he noticed that if you take away their diversion, you will see them dried up with weariness because it is to be ushered into an unhappiness as soon as we are reduced to thinking of self and have no diversion. Pascal's point is a perennial fact. The human appetite for distraction is high in every age because distractions give us an easy escape from the silence and solitude whereby we become acquainted with our our um, finiteness, our inescapable mortality, and the distance of God and all our desires, hopes, and pleasures. Our ever-present, I'm skipping now, our ever-present phones offer endless diversions from 10-second downloads to one-touch purchases. Our pings, alerts, and push notifications all direct us from our greatest needs and realities. Yes, we are distracted. I shared with you last week, I believe it was. I don't know why this is popping up again, but it is. There was something like six hours a day that tweens, young kids, are spending on these things. Six a day? Lots of people spend hours every day on that. And even the psychologists are recognizing. We'll share with you one more scripture and then we'll close. Musicians may come, if you'd like. If you would, turn with me to Luke. Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, there is a, a story told here of where Jesus went to dinner at the home of Mary and Martha. The Bible says, now it happened as they went that he went into a certain village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she, Martha, had a sister named Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Now let's just stop right there. Martha was distracted with much serving. Was it wrong for her to cook dinner? Was it wrong for her to prepare a meal? No, but she was fussing and complaining because her sister Mary was seated at the feet of Jesus. Mary was spending time with the Savior and she was cooking supper. She complained, you know, tell her to come help me. And Jesus said, no, you need to understand she's doing the important thing. Sitting at my feet is really the important thing. And he, he goes on and says to her, Martha was distracted with serving. She approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. Not only in verse 40 do we read she was distracted with much serving, 
But we also read in verse 41, you are worried and troubled about many things. Wow. Does that ever speak to us? You are worried and troubled about many things. And then verse 42, Jesus said, one thing is needed. One thing. Actually, he's saying, Mary, you, you're going to have to undistractify yourself. You're going to have to push some of these things aside. One thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part. What was that good part? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And that's not going to be taken away from her, Jesus said. Martha was distracted with much serving. You see, because the things that distract us in life, they're not always evil things. They're just things. I will tell you right now that I use this hours every week. I do Google searches and sermon preparation. I do word searches. I, I do, this is an office, is it not? Those of you who know how to use them, it is, it is a computer. You can do Word documents, you can do PowerPoint, you can do all kinds of things on these things right here. But I'll tell you, if we're not careful, they will become a distraction for us and keep us from doing things that we really should be doing that have nothing to do with this. Because if we get too busy that we don't have time to read my Bible and pray every day, I tell you what I've decided to do in 2018. What is this, the sixth? Seventh? I've decided this year that I am not going to look at Facebook until I've spent a good solid chunk of time in God's Word. I've decided God's Word's going to come before Facebook this year. Yes. If I never get to my phone again, God's word is going to come first. There's some other things I need to do the same thing with. There's some other things that need to be laid aside until the proper things are dealt with and taken care of. Amen? Yes. The distractions that, that would keep us distractified, they're as wide and varied as the difference between being distracted at a golf tournament and being distracted while you're driving down the road. They're varied. But anything that takes our mind and our attention and our devotion away from God becomes a sin and needs to be dealt with. Amen? Not because necessarily it's inherently wrong, but because our priorities are wrong. Because God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now think about it for just a minute. What is another God? There are no other gods. There are other little G-O-D-S, but they were rocks and stones. And how is this any different? Oh, there it is. How, how is this any different than a piece of wood that's been carved and they put gold around it and they bow down in front of it for an hour a day? How's this any different from that? No. It's not. It's taking your time. And your devotion. So a lot of things can become gods to us. Right. Little g. 
See, there, there are no other gods to worship, really. There's only one God. And that's why we put him first. Other things are just little g gods. And, and they can be any number of things that come between us and God. And I pray that you will at least think with me in 2018 about that very thing. That we don't allow ourselves to be distracted by other things. But with the help of God, I'm going to live an undistractified life. In 2018, put God first. Would you stand with me? As always, as we've heard the word, if if you desire to talk to the Lord about anything that you've heard today, God's word, the altar's open while we sing this. You're free to come. We'd invite you to come. We'd love for you to come. Let's sing this together.